I don't know how Brent Bozell does it. That name sounds familiar. He's the guy who I think he started, but he also runs the Media Research Center. So he and his minions, they spend their days monitoring local national news for particularly egregious examples of liberal media bias every day. And, you know, every once in a while they try to string them together and make us see that there's something really strange happening to the people who purport to report the news in this country, but doing it a long time to great effect. Great operation over there. But I think, but on a smaller level, I think we face the same challenge as Brent Bozell. Because I, I am, when I think of Media Research Center, I think of the way, and, and I also think of ourselves that way. It's like climbing Mount Everest. I mean, we get all the, you know, we get all the Sherpas and all the food. We can we climb, 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 climb. You know, for a day, we get to the first campsite, the first level. It's not even very high. So, you know, Charlie, you hardly even know you're on a mountain. So unemployed, some things are meant to be. And then by the time, then when nightfall comes, you mysteriously end up back at the bottom of the mountain and you have to start all over again the same day. That's because when we are, whatever we uncover here, it's like whatever we uncover, whatever we show, it's always such a minuscule part of what is happening all over the country in websites, print, all over. You know what I'm talking about? And again, I'm not, talk, I'm not just talking about one-off things from people that are you know, marginal or insignificant. What we do here is we focus on people who are real people. They're college professors. They're full-on, you know, network news analysts. They're columnists for major papers. They're reporters for major papers. You know, they're, they're members of the National Association of Black Journalists. And, and we just document here how often, which is about 99.9% .9 of the time, how often they just totally screw it up whenever they're writing or talking about race on any level whatsoever. They just don't get it right. That's what we expose here. So we have kind of a more narrow focus than Brett and his gang do. But there's so much going on. I mean, listen, I'm kind of a hermit around here. I mean, I just I do my videos, read my books, talk to people on the phone. I spend a lot of time screwing off, but I don't, you know, I don't turn the TV on that much. If I do, it's usually the golf channel just for a little background noise. Maybe sometimes I'll watch it and go, oh, you know, that's pretty nice. But I, but I, mean, I cannot remember the last time I actually watched a network news program unless it was somebody sending me a link from one of their particularly egregious examples of misreporting the whole story of race and racial violence in this country. But the other day, there I was, turned it on. I don't know how my TV got on CBS. Maybe, maybe I was just flipping the dials. I don't know, but there it was. There was a commercial for a new TV show. I think it's been on for, I think it's this, this is the first season. It's called All Rise. And if you look at the trailer, the opening, the trailer for All Rise that they played before they actually, the show debuted, 
There's this black woman who just became a judge in Los Angeles Superior Court. And, you know, she's running around dispensing justice in her own slightly eccentric way. But she's especially interested in people who, quote, look like me, unquote. And so that's what the show's about. You know, they're slapping down the cops, raising up the POCs who are falsely falsely accused of crime. And so anyway, there I am doing my hermit thing. There's, an, there's a, just a, a really brief commercial for this show. All rise. It was, on la- it was on last night, Monday night. And there's this judge, you know, this, this lovely lady judge explaining something to somebody. I think it was a white guy. She was reminding her, this person, that, you know, lots of racism is subconscious and I actually looked for the clip, but it's not out there. This commercial is not on the internet, not that I could find it. So there she is. She's explaining that lots of racism is subconscious, something we don't really aren't really aware of, but we're still doing. And somehow that's going to inform her work as, you know, as a judge. It's going to inform her legal opinions. You know, it was just yesterday we did a story on a black judge out of out of Delaware, the great state of Delaware, just elevated to the Delaware Supreme Court, lived in the state seven years, in her 30s. And, uh, you know, apparently her, uh, you know, if she was one of the smartest people in America, sit on that court. So they had a big, you know, we talked about the big ceremony she had at this place that used to be a black high school, place she never attended. Long history of civil rights in Delaware and all the people who marched with Martin. And then she gets into her. And so I just kept reading the article. I just wanted to see who she was, what she did, you know, what law review she wrote for, what this, you know, what her accomplishments were that elevated her to such a lofty position at such a young age. Well, we didn't get that. What we did get was her telling us that A, she doesn't feel entitled she feels as if she earned that job. It wasn't just somebody checking off a few boxes. It wasn't the governor, who I used to play basketball with in high school. It wasn't just the governor, John Carney, checking. Yeah, we played all the time. Checking, we did. Checking off a few boxes on, on his you know, slate. He's a Democrat. Checking off a few boxes. That's who we needed to put, put on this court. No, she didn't feel entitled. She felt like she earned it, and darn it. Here's what she's going to do. She's going to bring a black perspective to the law, just like Thurgood Marshall did back in the day when he was marching with Martin. So I really didn't, really, I didn't have any idea what that meant. I haven't checked my email for a couple hours, so I asked you guys to tell me what that meant. My guess is I got 50 people telling me what that meant. But all of a sudden, I turn on this commercial, and there it is. There's the answer to my question. What does it mean? Well, it means if you're a black judge, you're allowed to sit up on that bench and think about what the subconscious realities of the law are the subconscious dynamics that are playing out right in front of you. Look at that cop. He's lying his ass off. I can tell because I got the mind reading thing going on. When you listen to the fellas, lovely ladies and their enablers on local and national news and they're talking about race, listen to how often they are speculating or hypothecating. Listen to how often it's like, oh yeah, I didn't like the way that white person was looking at me. Or I knew they were thinking this. 
Well, I knew they were saying that. I mean, we had a kid. I mean, that kid, Michael White, he's the, remember that he's the guy that shoved the knife into the back of that white business guy that was later acquitted of some charge far removed from murder. Bronx jury did it. He went on the witness stand and he said when he showed up at the scene of this argument between this, this Sean Skellenegger and an and a Uber driver who I think was a black guy, he said he could look in that limousine and he could read the lips of the people inside the car and he knew they were using racial epithets against that Uber driver. That's why he pulled the big old French knife out of his, out of his backpack just in case he had to administer a little bit of street justice to some stone-cold racists. You know, I'm thinking of another story. I think this was in L.A. might have actually been in Korea. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Not for these purposes. There's a fella on a bus. There's a video of this. A fella on a bus looks down at an old Korean lady sitting with her old Korean husband. All of a sudden, he starts wailing on her. Right on video. They go, why did you do that? He goes, she, he called, you know, she dropped an M-bomb on me. No, she, he didn't say that, but that's what he meant. Well, she was speaking Korean. And yes, there are words in Korean that contain the letters N-I-G. And that's what he thought had happened. So he went there and beat the holy crap out of that old lady because he thought she was dropping an N-bomb on her. So much mind reading going on. I mean, everybody is absolutely convinced in the greatest lie of our generation, the hoax of our lifetime, relentless black victimization, relentless white racism all the time, everywhere. That explains everything. You know, this this judge, CBS, CBS Entertainment, that did this show about All Rise, they, they're not, they didn't invent this subconscious racism thing. Hillary Clinton was all over that a couple of years ago during the election. She mentioned it often. She was often chiding white people for their racism. Everybody remember, if you've been on this platform for more than a few weeks, everybody's heard the clip. We have to listen better to black. White people have to listen to black people. Last week, you said we've got to do everything possible to improve policing, to go right at implicit bias. Do you believe that police are implicitly biased against black people? Lester, I think implicit bias is a problem for everyone, not just police. I think, unfortunately, too many of us in our great country um, jump to conclusions about each other. And therefore, I think we need all of us to be asking hard questions about, you know, why am I feeling this way? But when it comes to policing, since it can have literally fatal consequences, I have said in my first budget, we would put money into that budget to help us deal with implicit bias by retraining a lot of our police officers. I've met with a group of very distinguished, experienced police chiefs a few weeks ago. They admit it's an issue. They've got a lot of concerns. Mental health is one of the biggest concerns because now police are having to handle a lot of really difficult mental health problems on the street. They want support, they want more training, they want more assistance, and I think the federal government could be in a position where we would uh, offer and provide that. Then her commercials, she talked about, you know, subconscious racism, parentheses, translation, imaginary racism. African-American parents shouldn't have to worry that their children will be harassed, humiliated, even shot because of the color of their skin. 
Something is just fundamentally broken when African Americans are more likely to be arrested by police and sentenced to longer prison terms for doing the same thing that whites do. When too many encounters with law enforcement and tragically, we need investments in education, health care, and jobs to counter generations of neglect. We have to face up to the hard truth of injustice and systemic racism. I hope you noted in that last commercial where the subconscious racism came from. And by the way, the only place you can pick up subconscious racism is by doing a battery of the psychological tests that take 300 years or by using that the magical mind reading trick that fellas have. You noticed who had it there. The parents had it when they're worrying about their child leaving their house and not coming back because some cop's going to come along and blow them away. And other commercials, she actually mentions, get, you know, killed in a jail cell like Sandra Bland. That has to be mind reading because any, any, Anyone with even the smallest grasp on reality knows that when a black child walks out of their house, the danger by thousands to one is not from a cop. It's from other fellas. That's what happens when you don't mind read, when you just look at what's happening. And then you come up with the greatest lie in our generation, the hoax of black victimization. Instead, what we get are television judges on major media outlets like CBS um, talking about their ability to detect this subconscious racism. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And you get black women judges in real life on the Delaware Supreme Court who are bragging about their ability to bring a black perspective to the court, i.e. they have specially high, more highly developed senses of mind reading than your average fella and lovely lady. Hey, am I the only person on the whole damn planet that doesn't know how to read people's minds? Seems that way so sometimes. But here's the thing. with every When you hear somebody like Hillary or you see a CBS writer writing something like subconscious or unconscious racism, you know that there's some really, really goofy-ass academic study behind it. And in this case, we've got 10 or 20 years of those studies documenting, you know, air quotes, documenting all this subconscious racism on the part of white people. I mean, don't even think about applying that to black people because how many times has Gail King explained that to us? And most people think black people can't be racist either, by the way. And you know, it was just yesterday on, the, we also did a clip yesterday from the streets of Brooklyn. I hope this video went viral because it sure deserves it. The guy's name is, I think his name is Avi Horowitz. He took a camera crew just to the streets of Brooklyn, put a microphone in people's faces and said, based some version of, hey, what's up with all this black on Jewish violence? Of course, one woman got indignant saying, you know, I think that question's an insult to African-Americans. No, everybody else was quite happy to talk about it, about what Jewish people do to inspire all this Black on Jewish violence in Brooklyn and around the rest of the country. It's like, they're buying our buildings. They're sending the money overseas. Now, that building never belonged to the person who said they're buying our buildings. They're not sharing their success. Somebody actually said something exactly like that. Not just Lori Pumbo a couple years ago, the member of the city council. 
all the stuff you hear a Gail King, all the stuff you hear uh, uh, Laurie Pumbo, a lot of the stuff you hear Reverend Louis Farrakhan say, it might not filter down for a day or a week or a month. But when you hear a lot of the fellas and lovely ladies saying the same thing at the same time, it's not just mind reading on the part of Colin to say, you know what, I wonder if some of that's coming from the same source. And this and people so severely underestimate the role that the Reverend Louis Farrakhan has among the fellas. Dude is extremely popular, extremely influential about how he is looking and talking about the world. And when we start talking about Jewish black people hating Jewish people, yeah, he's right there. And it's all subconscious. It's all mind reading. It's all, you know, waiting for Rod Serling to step out with a little hypnosis cube here. And so why don't we go back to uh, Don't Make the Black Kids Angry. I'm, I'm working on the audio copy of that, that book right now. There's a chapter in that when we really, really get into this whole academic thing about how all these colleges around the country are really mining the whole topic of subconscious racism and how unbelievably easy it is to find and how so many people are so eager to believe it. So let's go through some of that chapter. Here's the title of the chapter. Academic reports are in. You are a racist. And disagreeing is proof positive. Behind every denier of racial violence is a bogus academic report that shows white racism is big, getting bigger, is everywhere all the time, and that explains everything, and causing all the violence that on alternate days they say does not even exist. So much of this research is bogus. It is so bogus I had to repeat the word bogus. We already started on some of this. The chapter on John Conyers and the made-up studies about white people and black people using dope in the same amount. Bogus! Let's look at a couple more. Oh, by the way, this is not the book talking. This is Colin talking. My favorite part, this is one of my favorite parts of the book is at the end of this chapter. Back to the book. How about this fairy tale from Science Daily in 2013 and picked up by editors all over the country. Quote, smart enough to know better? Intelligence is not a remedy for racism. Or how another magazine editor put it, quote, how smart people hide their racism. Let's get to the conclusions first, then work backward. You know, just the way the researchers do it. Smart people are just as racist as their less intelligent peers. They're just better at concealing their prejudice, according to a study at the University of Michigan. Quote, High-ability whites are less likely to report prejudiced attitudes and more likely to say they support racial integration in principle, said Jeffrey Watke, a doctoral candidate in sociology. But they are, no more they are no more likely than lower ability whites to support open housing laws and are less likely to support school busing and affirmative action programs. So if you don't support mandatory racial quotas and race-based busing, you are a stone-cold racist. Got it? Yeah, more on that at the end of the chapter. Continuing. And as for racism from Eskimos or black people or Asians... We'll stick to the don't ask, don't tell policy. Here's another. New York Magazine, love this one. In a lab, they showed some people some words, then pictures, then they correlated them. Quote, together, our results provide strong converging evidence 
Yeah, that means they're relying. They're, their study is so weak, they have to use other weak studies you can't replicate to buck up their research, which you can't replicate. Strong converging evidence for the role of perceptual bias as a mechanism through which economic scarcity enhances discrimination and contributes to racial disparities. Perceptual bias? Of course. I smell a critical race theory fellowship in Hawaii coming up. Now go back and read the last two paragraphs. Instead of the word perpetual, insert Instead of the word perceptual, insert, insert the word perpetual, as my computer just tried to do. Weird how that does not change the meaning. Onward. Ann Coulter has her own fav favorite bogus study on race. One that shows the jackboots in our highway patrols are systematically stopping and harassing black drivers for no reason whatsoever including famously former Attorney General Eric Holder. Let's cut to my future girlfriend, the lovely Ann Coulter. Quote, as is usually the case with bogus race studies, the pivotal 1993 survey compared speed stops on the New Jersey Turnpike to the population of all drivers on the Turnpike, not with the population of all speeders on the Turnpike. Such meaningless studies are popular on the left where it is, it is assumed that people of different races, genders, and ethnicities will always behave identically in all respects. If fewer women pass the physical test to become firefighters, that can only be because of sexism. If fewer black people pass the written test, well, that's racism. If fewer whites play professional basketball, well, no, forget that one, says Coulter. Sports are important, unlike arson or vehicular homicide. Nevertheless, based on the assumption that blacks speed just as much as white people do, because to believe otherwise would be racist, Temple University's John Lamberth announced that while only 13.5% of drivers along a particular stretch of the New Jersey Turnpike were black, 46% of those stopped for speeding we're black. Let's stop the book just for a second. I mean, there have been two studies in the last 48 hours. One out of California, identical to this one. In California, they found that, you know, blah, blah, blah. This many black people were stopped for traffic infractions compared to white people and blah, blah, blah. And there's absolutely no chance whatsoever that black people were breaking the law more than white people. Ditto in New Jersey. I mean, they could, I don't know, where do they just, they could just go to a hut in India and get these studies mass produced for five bucks a day. Ditto in New Jersey. They, you know, I don't know why somebody decided we'd need another one of these. Every, basically every school district, every major paper in the country has done this story 10 times. Racial disparities in schools. Black people are way more likely to be suspended, way more likely to be expelled way more likely to have crappy grades. Reason. There's only one reason. There's always only one reason. White racism. And if you decide you want to do your little snarky thing and ask, hey, is there any chance whatsoever that black people are breaking the speeding laws more often or that black people are misbehaving in schools more often? As any cop, as any teacher will tell you, you risk removing yourself 
from the public square. Back to the art, back to the book. And over at frontpagemag.com, frontpagemag.com, Daniel Greenfield has his own his own favorite nominee for worst performance in a study that is supposed to show something meaningful. Racism makes people fat. You know something I I had totally forgotten we wrote this. Remember there was we just cuz we did uh, the follow-up on it a few months ago. I forget the chick's name. What's her name? Brittany Cooper? Yeah, she's like the big... I guess I shouldn't have hesitated after I said big. I guess she's like the big black chick writing uh, the books these days everybody's paying attention to. Everybody goes through like a year of favoritism. What was her book called? Her book was like her, her, her being angry as her superpower or something. Remember, she's the one that got on TV and reminded everybody the reason black chicks are fat is because Donald Trump's racism makes them fat. Well, this is what she was talking about. Like, I hate when people talk about black women being obese. I hate it because it becomes a way to blame us for a set of conditions that we didn't create. We're moving. We're taking care of kids, but our food quality suffers. We are living in the Trump era. And look, those policies kill our people. You can't get access to good health care, good insurance. The research says that black women, when we do the same diets as white women, we lose less weight and we lose it slower, even when we're following the diet than our white women counterparts. And what, and what public health practitioners think is that our stress responses in the body change our metabolism. It's literally that the racism that you're experiencing and the struggle to make ends meet actually means the diet don't work for you the same. That's, that was from uh, Rutgers University. Racist microaggressions cause black people to eat fast food and avoid exercise. Well, if you say so, Rutgers. In Chicago, the Amalgamated Transit Union was trumpeting a University of Chicago report called Density for All, Linking Urban Form to Social Equity. The money quote. The disparity in commute times for low-wage African-American workers in Chicago as compared to others is a product of a country with a huge and growing urban population Yet no serious urban transportation agenda except to benefit the rich, said union leaders. Yeah, no serious urban agenda. Translation, give black people, well, we've got one now. Give black people the right to, to go on to uh, buses and subways in New York, Washington, and San Francisco without paying. Give them that right. Well, they already took it, so we have to give it to them. Pretend we're giving it to them. Then a year later, then you come back at us and go, you know, we're going to need more money from the state because for some crazy ass reason, we lost like we lost like a lot of money last year. This transportation system, that's word for word what they're saying in New York. Back to the scintillating bestseller. No discussion of goofy academic research would be complete without featuring some news from the National Education Association which is to racial education what roller derby is to ice skating. Let's check in with them to see what they are telling their members to take to the classroom. Here's the lead sentence from a 2013 article in the NEA Journal called, quote, is higher education popping up white privilege, unquote? White privilege still exists in America. Did you doubt it? The latest proof is an extensive study from Georgetown University. Oh, yeah, just so, make, just so we can make it clear here. We're not messing with those non-extensive studies. Back to the book. 
The study shows that black students are underrepresented in the, quote, most selective schools, unquote, and are more likely to go to open access schools. Here's the money quote, quote, the report's authors acknowledge that their findings do serve as a justification for race-based admissions in colleges, unquote. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's like a big plus, okay? Whoever wrote that study got major brownie points from the admissions office in every major university in America who are desperately trying to figure out how they can let unqualified black people into their school so they can at least brag they have a few black people there, etc., etc., etc. To its credit, the NEA story did acknowledge one curious fact. The teachers at these crappy public schools who are shortchanging our underserved, underprivileged, under-everything black students, yeah, they're members of the NEA. Here's my favorite one that got tons of attention around the country. Study links white racism with opposition to gun control. These researchers say white people who hold, quote, implicitly anti-black attitudes, unquote. Okay, just, um, I'm sorry to do this to you, but sometimes implicit means subconscious, undercover. Explicit means out front, okay? Back to the thing. People who hold implicitly anti-black attitudes are more likely to support that crazy-ass Second Amendment. Whoa, what are those implicit anti-black attitudes? This is my favorite part of the article and of the book. Most articles, I geek out on this. Most articles did not really answer that question. So you have to go to the source, dig down past the conclusions, past the urgent calls for more race-based solutions, past the demands for more free stuff, and that's how you find out. So what is it? Is it membership in the Klan? No. Is it support for segregation in schools and housing? Nope, not that. These poindexters found, quote, racist attitudes that are not overt, but nevertheless color one's view of the world, unquote. They call it symbolic racism. Or, in technical terms, we just made this silly stuff up. And here's how they figured that out. Quote, participants answered four questions taken from the symbolic racism scale. Specifically, they expressed their level of agreement or disagreement on a one to five scale with statements such as, quote, it's really a matter of some people not trying hard enough. If black people would only try harder, they could be just as well off as whites. Let me ask, here's another statement they ask you to agree or disagree with on a one to five scale. Irish, Italian, Jewish, and many other minorities overcame prejudice and worked their way up. Blacks should do the same. Ready for another? How much discrimination against blacks do you feel there is in the United States today, limiting their chances to get ahead? Another? Generations of slavery and discrimination have created conditions that make it difficult for blacks to work their way out of the lower class. Another? Over the past few years, blacks have gotten less than they deserve. So if, you, you know, if you're a conservative, if you believe in individual achievement, no race-based quotas, these questions are fairly easy to answer, fairly easy to see what the right answer is to them and what the wrong answer is to them. Any answer that does not explicitly acknowledge 
Black victimization, white racism all the time, everywhere. That explains everything. If you don't answer the question fully informed with that attitude, you're going to get a low score. Answer these, back to the book, answer these questions the wrong way. And like getting your member, your AARP membership card on your 52nd birthday, like it or not, you'll be receiving your honorary clan membership in the mail. That's, so that's how they come up with all these goofy tests, these goofy academic studies that we never pull the threads on when we see the headlines, when we see them on CNN, we never get a chance to pull the headlines and say, well, man, well, how do they know if we're racist or not? They say racism is connected to this. Well, how do they know? Well, they ask us if we basically want to know if we believe in special treatment for black people because for whatever reason, if we don't believe in special treatment, we flunk the test each and every time. And so I mean, originally, this was just designed as an academic tool, but you could, but as we know now, it's kind of spread throughout the country where if you disagree with the idea of affirmative action or racial quotas, if you go around saying, hey, man, this is a great country, you can make it here if you do the individual effort thing and don't wait around for Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and Sean King to magically give you a job or a skill that you don't have. You can make it here. Get a skill. Get a job. You'll do fine. Of course, try this test out. Here's another test that you'll never get on the symbolic racism test. Try this test. What will happen if you do these five things? One, stay out of jail. Two, graduate from high school. Three, don't have a child unless you are married. Four, stay off drugs. Five, get a, get a job, any job. So what will happen if you do all those five things? Give up? The answer is, you will not be poor. White men pray on our poor dark skin. Bro.
love getting letters from cops. I love the fact that they're at the tip of the spear. They know exactly what we're talking about at a level we can only dream about. You know, one of the things that really concerns the cops is they, you know, all of them have, believe it or not, they have families. They have moms and dads and kids, the whole thing. And when these cops see how, when these cops see this black violence, mayhem, chaos, dysfunction on such a relentless, epic, and vast scale, oh yeah, they're not worried about themselves walking down the street or in their car. Now, their families do that for them plenty. They're worried about their families. They're worried that their families might not know enough about it because, believe me, a cop doesn't want to go home and the first thing he, he, he doesn't, first, he doesn't want to walk into his house and tell his family, his wife and kids, how much potential danger they're in every day just by stepping out of their house. But every once in a while, they have to sit, you know, so he makes quiet. A lot of cops make quiet choices. They really insist on, on where they're going to live, where their kids are going to go to school, where they're going to shop, go to the movies. The whole thing, the cops just don't want their families to be anywhere near this stuff. If you know a lot of cops, they'll tell you that they know cops that literally will go down and move their parents out of the old neighborhood because it stopped being safe a long time ago and their parents are too damn stubborn to move. You'll, you'll know a lot of cops get really angry at one thing when one of their family members decides to go party in the ghetto as if they belong there and are welcome there. Oh, yeah. They get very upset about that. And so we get letters. Now, you be, you guys, all I can tell you is we get letters from some of the top cops in the country. We get letters from cops when they walk into a room full of cops. The other cops look at them and go, oh, yeah, that's the guy who did this, this, and this. Yeah, that's the guy who came and talked to us. That's the guy who works in Washington, D.C. I probably said too much already. But I just got a letter from a cop who, when he's anywhere near this area, he'll, he, some, he'll take me out to the driving range. Uh, driving range. I'm still watching the Golf Channel. <laughs> no, I'm not, but I got it on my brain. Takes me out to the shooting range. And, um, you know, he tells me a couple things that could keep me alive in case the apocalypse comes. You know, and we'll, the way people get shot around here, maybe 100 years from now, we, we will have decided the apocalypse arrived here about 10 years ago. Anyway, let's listen to this letter from a cop. It's not written by the same cop who was telling us about what the fellas do to the white girls, le drunken white girls leaving the bars at night that got so much reaction a couple weeks ago. This is a different cop, equally as on point. Hey, Colin, as you already talked about on your podcast, an 18-year-old black male murdered a white deli owner in southern New Jersey recently after the black male stole a tip jar. The deli owner chastised the 18-year-old black male when the black male brutally stabbed the deli owner to death. As a career law enforcement officer and something else I don't want to say which might give him away, I did some further research on this story and found that the victim, Mr. Pastore, was stabbed repeatedly in the neck by the black male simply for take simply for simply for a tip jar. 
a totally brutal, bloody murder for just a tip jar. The Philadelphia area media, our Philadelphia area media is already past this story and has been totally silent about any past or background on the perpetrator. That tells me a lot ton about his past, the usual scrubbing of the murderer's past because of his race. Although the killer was rather young, it underscores my constant teachings to both law enforcement and civilians that you must be prepared to defend yourself at all costs when dealing with the fellas. Parentheses. Yeah, that means that means correcting a fella or a lovely lady on the bus if you don't like the way she's flinging her kid around like a piece of old luggage. That includes talking to somebody in the library if you don't like the way they're dropping F-bombs all over the place. This includes all of that. Talking to somebody at the movie theater if they're making too much noise. You just say, do it if you want. Listen to this cop telling us we have to be ready for the consequences. Hey, Mr. Cop, if you're, I know you're listening to this. I'm sorry to mess up your letter with my own uh, editorializing because you do a better, way better job than me on this. Simply because it was a single black male taking a little old tip jar, you must understand their mentality and propensity for instantaneous deadly violence. It's a simple formula. I take or do what I want, and if you don't allow it, instant violence. Seeing this as a simple matter, based upon there being only one black male and a little tip jar involved, was sadly a huge mistake. Unfortunately, the victim, Mr. Pastore, was a stand-up guy by all accounts, but he didn't either. He, either he didn't understand black culture or forgot it and underestimated the perpetrator's culture. That was mostly a white town where that went down. Make no bones about it, this is not an isolated incident, as cops all over the country see similar murders every single day across the country, but we are not allowed to connect the dots or acknowledge it. If you do, your career is instantly over. People need to recognize and admit that they are simply seen as potential victims in the black culture. Also, make no mistake, these are not isolated incidents. They are cultural. Four or five kids just come in and they just start wrecking the place. Very clear on video. It's a green light store, but it takes the cops about 20, 25 minutes to get here. And by that time, they're gone. Store owner is closed down for two or three hours and not much he can do. And this has happened a couple times a week since November. Look at that. Look at that. When you're dealing with anyone from a culture that idolizes violence, drug dealing, rape, theft, and justifies every criminal act their people commit, we are left with only one possible outcome. Dead victims. Sadly, Mr. Pastore is now just another number and there is no doubt what the defense will be. Quote, He used racial slurs at me, Your Honor. And the jury will come back with a significantly lesser charge if they convict the murderer at all. Funny how that works, isn't it? When the victim can't tell his or her, his, his or her story. When will this be curtailed? When will it end? Never. So long as citizens and law enforcement officers live within their own culture that absolutely prohibits them from recognizing that the majority of black violence is a cultural issue. They condone it. They embrace it. They glorify victimizing anybody who isn't black. That's what we as law enforcement see in real life 
on the streets of America. It's like slowly pushing a long burning stick into a fire and burning it inch by inch. Our citizens are the stick and our culture constantly feeds our own people slowly and constantly into the burning fire to be destroyed. Until we openly acknowledge what black culture is in America actually, what black culture in America actually is and does, we will keep burning our own stick. So the best thing anyone can do is learn about black culture, acknowledge to yourself and your family their propensity for instantaneous brutal violence, and then be prepared to avoid it or protect yourself. If you are waiting for law enforcement or civilians to openly acknowledge all of this, do not hold your breath. Cops don't want to lose their jobs, and civilians don't want to be ruined and branded as very bad people. And the beat goes on. I spent a lot of time with this guy. He's always, I mean, he kind of reminds me of uh, our buddy Marlon Newburn. This guy is dropping truth bombs from a lifetime in all different levels of law enforcement on me all the time. And sometimes I have to say, hey, whoa, stop. What did you just say? Let me try to soak in what you just said. That's an unbelievably powerful letter written right there. It's a letter every single one of us should give to anybody we know who's a store owner, who rides a bus, who does anything. So many ways to share this material and the reasons for sharing it are getting more and more urgent. I saw the videos of this Frank Pastore guy. They had a memorial for him last night. I could write the script for all the memorials. Cue the crying family members. Cue the, cue the grateful customers that just like getting a smiling face every time they walked into his store. Cue the people who didn't know him that well and lament the fact that this doesn't really happen around here. Yeah, I could write those. And if you really want to take it to the next level, a couple months from now, I could write the trial. The poor, abused little fella didn't know what he was doing. Good Lord, look at his IQ. Look at his mental acuity. Look at his history of the abuse directed at him. I mean, hell, if you were in his place, wouldn't you have done the same thing? I know that sounds stupid. I just, I just repeat it for you, basically, the that is the law of the land in this country right now. The law that we will not find in any law books except the one marked, please, whatever you do in this court, do not make the black kids angry. Talk to you tomorrow. Brawl
And so Hillary has to come up with the implicit bias story. And there's an entire industry, a racial grievance industry on college campuses devoted to measuring it, creating tests for it, talking about it. And they're, and you know, they love NPR, NPR and Time Magazine. These are two outlets that love talking about this stuff. So to, 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 be, to see if you're implicit bias, I mean, there's, there's two tests. You go online, you could find a test for implicit bias, or you go online, it's, just, it's kind of the first cousin, look for a, uh, a test for symbolic racism. I, I cover this in a, a lot and don't make the black kids angry. Exactly what's in these tests, who makes them, how you fail them. Here's how you fail them. Do you think affirmative action is a good idea? Do you think black people should get a 250 to 350 point bonus on their SAT scores in order to make up for the high scores of those no good Asian people who are always studying and working hard and trying to get good grades to get into college? Do you think a black person should get an advantage over your child to get into school or to get a job? All other things being equal. Do you think companies, you think government contracts should be awarded um, uh, to, to companies who get extra points for having a certain number of black contractors up as part of their bid or their proposal? By the way, I bet you Donald Trump knows all about that. Remember last night he was talking about the uh, uh, the thing at the, the, his building at uh, they're redoing, I think, the post office in Washington, D.C. He had to go through that. Um, what are some other questions? Um, do you think at military academies they should teach that uh, white privilege is the reason that there are so many white people at this school and not as many black people because of white privilege slash white racism? Oh no, yeah, I know your parents, your grandparents. You just you just came or your family just came here ten years ago, but you're still benefiting from all this built up white racism, white privilege. So. Don't give me that story. And so every white person in America is racist. And I mean, okay, so that is what it is. That's what Hillary believes. And I mean, right now, in the federal government, top to bottom, I mean, every department is really, that's how they look at the world, through the lens of racism. And we have the EPA talking about environmental racism. We talked about the military academies teaching white privilege. Uh, the Attorney General of the United States I mean, that's his, that's his and her, like, number one thing. There's too much racism. There's too many black people in prison for no reason whatsoever. And on and on and on and on. That's where we are now. I don't think a lot of people know that. And so there's Hillary talking about implicit bias. I mean, it's kind of, I don't like predicting the future, mostly because it's against the law in the state of New York. But you think about implicit bias. Okay, so Hillary... I mean, how are we going to fix implicit bias? I have some, I have some image of you know Clockwork Orange, where people's eyes are plopped open, and you're looking at this movie screen, you're getting shocked, you know, and you're all you're all happy. Uh, and so there's lots and lots of tests for implicit bias, regular bias, but if if you're the president, uh, you know, you're hire you you yourself are personally hiring twelve thousand people, and they in turn are going to hire another hundred or two hundred thousand people all of which have to follow these new rules of implicit bias. I mean, how do you fix implicit bias? Well, you assume all white people are racist and you just make more and more and more plans to give black people more and more advantages in work, 
school, play, salaries, all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's what Hillary's talking about. That's what she's been talking about. And that's why over the last few months, we've probably done three or four videos on that, saying, reminding Republicans that, listen, Hillary and Bernie have been going through this exercise for the last 18 months. This is what they talk about at every forum. Sometimes that's all they talk about. So they know the drill. Republicans never talk, never talk about it. The only time Republicans talk about it is when they basically say the same thing Republicans have been saying for the, every four years for the last 50 years, which is, well, we're Republicans and we promise you we are going to give you more and better stuff, free stuff. I mean, that's about it. And Trump actually did a little bit of that last night. Now, I know he went to a, some black church a few weeks ago and since then his black numbers of black voters has been going up. I mean, some of these polls say he's, he's going to get between 10 and 20%, 20% of the black vote. I mean, if he gets that, Wow, that's an earthquake. That's a revolution. That's the very first step to dismantling this entire racial grievance business that we have in federal, state, and local government, top to bottom. That's the first step to restoring some sanity. That's the first step for all of us to stop worrying about what makes the black kids angry. <laughs>